0: Hi, I'm Alad Gross. I'm a civil rights attorney, an educator, and a dog owner who's running for Missouri Attorney General. And welcome to the Alad Pod. On this episode of The Allod Pod, we are joined by two guests, Dr. Gina McClendon and Jennifer Slavik Loman, both of whom are working so hard in ensuring our right to vote is protected. We'll talk about the changes in Missouri's laws. Some changes have been made since this podcast aired, so make sure to go to votemissouri.org for the most updated information on how to vote and how to vote absentee. Hope you enjoy the podcast. How are you two doing?
1: Awesome. Great.
0: Wonderful. Well, I'm going to have you both introduce yourselves. Um, I, I'm really excited to have you both on. I'm glad that we could bring this together because uh, this all happened very quickly. Um, so, uh, Gina, could you introduce yourself? Dr. McClendon is here um, over from the Brown School. Uh, could you introduce yourself, the work that you're doing and uh, um, uh, I guess what, why we should listen to you, because I certainly do, about voting rights and why they're important.
1: Hi, good afternoon, everybody. Thank you a lot for allowing me to have this opportunity to be on your show. It's really, I feel really honored. Um, so at Washington University in the Brown School of Social Work, I work at the Center for Social Development And we're a research and theory center whose focus is on the social development of people. We have two different bodies, premier bodies of work. One has to do with uh, economic empowerment, and the other is voter access and engagement, in which I lead that initiative. Um, For us, this is about democracy and everyone having the ability to vote, everybody. So that is the work that we're doing. We've done we did a research project in 2018, and that report um, I will um, get it into the chat so you can see the link if you're interested in seeing it. But we're we're pumped up, we're fired up, and we're ready to go.
0: Well, that's great. No, we can uh, and yes, absolutely. What we will do, um, and I write, I take notes for those of you who have watched before. You know, I do. Um, and we'll get the link to that report. We'll be able to put it in the comment section for everybody to check out after the show. Uh, and if you do have any questions, you can go ahead and post them. I know there are a lot. And if we can't get to all of them, we can do it after the show. We can do it in writing. So, uh, please put them there. So that's great. Thank you so much for coming. Let's get to our second guest. And there she is.
2: Hi, um, Jennifer. yeah, How I'm Jennifer Slavik Loman and I, uh, have helped organize the St. Louis area voter protection coalition. I am a non-practicing attorney, but I've been interested in voting rights for a while. Um, I have helped uh, organize some of the on the ground work in the St. Louis area with Denise Lieberman's really wonderful um, election protection effort that she has throughout the state of Missouri. And our, our, St. Louis Area Voter Protection Coalition also participates in an effort with the Transformative Justice Coalition to do tweet storms and voter education nationwide. I mean, it's mm-hmm. it's such an important issue in 2020, both locally and nationally, that um, you know, I'm just excited to have any opportunity to talk about the ways to make voting easier and clearer to people.
0: Yeah. No, and I'm, I'm excited you were able to come on. Yeah. Um... Yeah, I think, you know, I think it would be interesting for us all, um, and I will uh, get you all in here, but what what you, you know, given, given the situation that we have right now in the country regarding uh, COVID-19, the pandemic, uh, issues around voting, uh, you know, I'm curious for, for the both of you, what, what were you hoping, you know, the legislature would do, and then we can talk about what they actually ended up doing?
2: Um, oh, go ahead, Gina. No, go ahead. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, so the, the two important things that really need to happen is that people need to have a safe way to vote at home by mail if that's what they feel that they need to do. But there also needs to be a safe in-person voting option because not everybody can or wants to vote by mail. Some people really have a need to vote in person. So both of those things need to happen. Both of them need to be safe and both of them need to be accessible. Um, Right now, the one thing that I think is standing in the way of safe voting by mail is that the Missouri requirements for absentee voting have always been pretty onerous. And the new legislation doesn't necessarily make it that much easier to vote absentee by mail because for a great many people, um, they may need to have their absentee ballot envelopes notarized. And, you know, Finding a notary, knowing what a notary is, even, um, is, is something that is not necessarily accessible to everybody. So that's a big concern that I have. You know, the other concern, of course, is having good opportunities to vote in person, which requires lots of safety measures. It requires adequate staffing. And you can see why people would be hesitant to want to work at a polling place. So there are all kinds of challenges to overcome in that area, too.
0: Right, right. Yeah, Gina. Do you have? Uh, I mean, is there anything that you wanted to add to to you know systems that we really need to reform? Whether that's in Missouri or, or even in other places too, it might be applicable to other states as well.
1: So I alluded to a research project that we did in, at the November 2018 election, and what we basically were trying to understand is who gets to cast a ballot and who doesn't based on race and income. And so based out of that, what we found is that um, there were fewer voter machines in communities of color, low-income communities compared to uh, whites. Uh, there were more police presence there was more confusion about being able to to vote and so those are the things that um, I'm concerned about in addition to what Jennifer said so the absentee voting is important um, the idea of having a notary is is an issue and in person and, and safety but it's also even if we have um, a really good system for mail for absentee voting. There's still a whole crop of people who are not who won't be accustomed to it, who won't get the information the way that they should about how they can vote, and then there's some that just like to vote in person, and so we have to be prepared for that. Mm-hmm. So, um, you, you know, those are the things that are 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 most pressing and concerning to me. Is Is folks having the information that they need, making sure they have the opportunity to vote via mail or having uh, a safe opportunity to vote in person.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that uh, absolutely makes sense. Yeah, I think it. um, Well, let's go over the changes that were made. So I'll put up um, a graphic. Let's see if we can get um, all of us together here. Look at that. Okay, I'm going to put up this voting chart. So this comes from, and I, I've also read what the Senate bill was that ended up passing. It was 631 uh, with a whole bunch of changes. All of these changes were being made at the last second. Um, and this comes from uh, a wonderful county clerk. For those of you in Boone County, you've got a great one, Brianna Lennon. Uh, she used to work for the Secretary of State's office uh, beforehand. And this came from her. Um, so it's got the, uh, you know, the differences between two different systems now. Um, In Missouri, we actually do have mail-in voting. It was very limited uh, towards particular circumstances, and then there was absentee voting. So, yes, those were two different things. They still are within our system, Um, and they made updates to both. So both of them, uh, they made available, and these changes sunset at the end of 2020, which means once we're done with this year, Uh, They will be gone. So if you like them, uh, you should probably call your uh, representatives and tell them that you uh, wanted to come back afterwards. Uh, But the big the big uh, issue is around the coronavirus, because so many folks had questions about applying for an absentee ballot and whether they could apply for one, given that one of the excuses on there dealt with being confined due to an illness. Uh, it didn't say that you had to be sick. It just said an illness in general. Does that mean a pandemic? So um, a lot of folks, uh, <laughs> a lot of folks, me included and members of the bar uh, and a former uh, chief justice for the Missouri Supreme Court wrote a, le- a whole bunch of us um, agree that the way that it is written now would allow folks to vote in this particular circumstance um, using using that that excuse. Uh, But unfortunately, the secretary of state of Missouri, the governor of Missouri, two-wayed in, now apparently the attorney general, uh, because he is opposing uh, a current case, said that, no, uh, this does not apply. You can't vote. You can't use this excuse. Uh, The secretary of state actually allowed local election authorities to just kind of decide whatever they wanted to. So we had differences depending on where you lived. Um, which is oftentimes an issue. I'm a constitutional lawyer, and that's something that you're not supposed to do either, um, ever. Uh, But uh, So now that that has gone, as I've indicated, that has gone to court. Um, And as Jennifer mentioned, Denise Lieberman is uh, one of those lawyers who fights uh, on these issues quite a bit. Uh, The League of Women Voters, uh, multiple protection groups, the NAACP, they're all in court right now. So uh, that is opposed by the attorney general saying that, no, you should not be able to. So the legislature came up with with this uh, and they passed uh, another excuse on the absentee ballot uh, and they made some changes to the mail-in balloting. So I know, Jennifer, we talked a little bit earlier that you looked at the absentee ballot and the excuses there. Um, So Mm -hmm. is that okay? Can we go over just the absentee ballot portion of that?
2: Yeah. So so in Missouri, um, we have an excuse-based excuse based absentee voting system. We don't have early voting and we don't have mail-in voting. So what we do have is two different kinds of absentee voting. You can vote absentee by mail or you can vote absentee in person, but either way, you need an excuse to do it. So historically speaking, if you wanted to vote absentee by mail, except for certain circumstances, such as being confined due to illness or being on permanent disability status, et cetera, you had to have your absentee ballot envelope notarized, and the notary requirement was really something that concerned people um, in the age of COVID. Because as a notary myself, it's only you can only do it in, in um, you know, in such a distant way. You can't use electronic notary for this. You know, there is some element of in-person contact that's going to be required to notarize ballots. So. In in an ideal world, what would have happened in the state legislature is they would have made it clear that excuse number two, confined due to illness, applied throughout 2020 to every voter. Everybody could re- use that reason to request an absentee ballot by mail, and nobody would need a notary. That's not what happened. Right. So what happened was they created um, a new category of excuse, which is basically anybody who wants to get an absentee ballot by mail can do so, but they're going to have have to get a notary. The people who um, don't need a notary are, I, I'm just going to read this because it's an oddly specific list. Mm-hmm. Now this, this is an or list. It's not an and list, but it's still oddly specific.
0: Yeah. I'll get the chart.
2: it yeah Yeah. So it says for purposes of this section, and that's the section of the, like the new excuse category, the voters who are in an at-risk category for contracting or transmitting severe acute respiratory syndrome, coronavirus two are voters who are 65 years of age or older, live in a long-term care facility licensed under Chapter 198, have chronic lung disease or moderate to severe asthma, have serious heart conditions, are immunocompromised, have diabetes, have chronic kidney disease, and are undergoing dialysis or have liver disease. And you see that there are several situations left out of that risk factors such as high blood pressure, are not on this list. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it also ignores the fact that family members of people who are at risk don't qualify under this particular section. So I guess, you know, a lot of, there are a lot of issues left open by this, such as what effect does this particular new section have on excuse number two and its applicability and how election boards are going to treat that. Mm-hmm. So we're kind of in this um, a situation of uncertainty. The only thing that I could say is because the possibility that a lot of people will need ballots notarized is out there. Everybody should start thinking about maybe becoming a notary. And I understand that that does require effort and it does cost money to become a notary. But if people have the ability and means to do that, it's something to consider right now.
0: That's that's great because we literally got this question from Debbie. So I'm going to put it up on the screen. Oh, hold up. Yeah. So she was literally asking about that. Um, So, so you would, I mean, based on this and given what the volume, I think Debbie is pointing exactly right. There's potentially a Mm -hmm. lot of volume here. Um, Mm -hmm. Do you think, do you think that there will be, um, you know, any kind of, I mean, it does cost money to become a notary. Is that right?
2: It does, because not only are there fees involved in applying to become a notary, you have to get a bond, and you know, there's a certain cost associated with getting the bond, and then you have to have your notary equipment. You have to have a seal and a book, and um, I think altogether, and Gina, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it's you know, in the neighborhood of $75 to $100, if, even if you do it on the cheap.
1: Yes, that, that's very true. And um, But here's a, another issue. I applied to be a, a notary, oh, maybe about six or seven weeks ago, and I called the state earlier this week to ask what the status is. Well, apparently, I've been approved, according to this young lady. She couldn't give me my number, um, my commission number. Uh, but what she said is that the application is, is set, it's ready to go, but they haven't processed it because when you get your letter, you have ninety days to get all of the get your notary bond and your seal and things like that and to get sworn in. And so if they had processed it before um, earlier, I would lose some of that ninety days because the courts are closed in St. Louis City. Now, I don't know if that's mm-hmm. true everywhere else, but I have to be sworn in. So, the question becomes, what's going to happen when, um, you know, when the St. Louis City is open? Are they going to allow people to go in to to be sworn in? Will it be by appointment? And I haven't seen anything that, that tells me what's going to happen at that point. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's another obstacle that uh, people have to deal with. Right. And the other thing, too, is that that, um, that Jennifer alluded to is it's interesting that the, the COVID, the CDC lists several other things, at least the high blood pressure, as a reason, as a, as a complicating uh, factor with COVID. Right. So why did they happen to leave that particular thing out? Is it possible that they left that out because a lot of African-Americans, a lot of black people have high blood pressure? Hmm. It seems discriminatory, in my opinion. Hmm.
2: It doesn't seem very medically sound either in that respect. I mean, and, and since COVID is an emerging illness and it's a novel virus, literally, that nobody really knows a whole bunch about, I think setting risk factors in stone when those haven't been established with any certainty is is a really mm-hmm. kind of dangerous thing to do. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah it's
0: it's interesting too, and I was I was talking about this while they were looking at the, uh, the law um, in, in making these changes, but they don't they also don't include any exception for folks who are working. With at-risk populations, mm-hmm. that's not included in here at all. So uh, for all of these things that they include, like okay, let's say th- these were right and these were the only things that you can, you know, the risk factors uh, for folks who are working with people or exposed mm-hmm. to people like that or might be bringing something into a nursing home, for example, um, they're not included. They don't. They don't have this this ability to to vote using the new absentee excuse.
1: And there's this other uh, piece. Many people have already applied mm-hmm. for, um, to get their absentee ballot. So, what happens to those applications are will people be able to reapply based on the new addition to the, the excuses?
2: Right, because people in some jurisdictions have already applied for their ballots for August and November. Um, you know, will those uh, applications still be processed? Is that excuse still valid? I mean, is is excuse number two still valid generally? I just, you know we don't know the answer to those questions. And maybe the lawsuit will help shed some light on that.
0: yeah, hope well, hopefully that's the idea behind mm-hmm. it. I am going to bring up the chart again um, because it's interesting, like this, so this is basically a new excuse within the absentee ballot um, option. So just insert as another one. And I know, Jennifer, the operative language at the beginning of this stuff is if you expect, right, if you have Mm -hmm. an expectation that that's happening. So I know, um, you know, there have been some clerks and some local officials who have really been focusing on that language that if you're expecting, you know, when you are applying, um, mm-hmm. then that means, well, you're you're good, right? You, so if you expect right now that when you're applying that you should be fine. So, uh, I mean, do you think that that operative language would probably be helpful, at least from a legal sense? Because I know a lot of folks are scared. Like there are right. some, some clerks who are threatening, you know, prosecute, mm-hmm. like they're going to go refer to you to a prosecutor. And it's, I, who knows how in the world they're going to verify all of these folks who are applying one way or another uh, to see if they actually did have COVID-19 when they applied for it or something. Um, But at the same time, like for folks who who right now do are trying to follow all the rules and and trying to do everything, um, you know, that's that's particularly scary. That's a felony charge that you could then lose your right to vote after that.
2: It's it's pretty nuts. I mean, there really shouldn't be this uncertainty. And all of this could have been resolved very easily if the secretary of state had simply issued guidance to all election authorities in Missouri and said, hey, guys, excuse number two, confined due to illness applies to everybody in Missouri for the duration of the pandemic, because people do need to take precautions and not be in large groups, you know, in order to stop the spread of this illness to which there is no um, vaccine or other established immunity. So that would have been really simple, you know, case closed, everybody can vote absentee by mail if they choose nobody would need a notary and that would have you know offered a lot of clarity and comfort to voters so right now as the situation stands you know we can argue about the legal interpretation of this but the mere fact that we're having that argument is a deterrent to voters and that's not okay
1: mm-hmm.
0: I think you know another so- thing. Uh, oh, I'm sorry yeah just I just want to insert this and I'm gonna get I'm gonna throw it to you Gina uh, but uh, another another way another avenue for this to happen that a lot of folks were talking about is the emergency powers that were granted to the governor because mm-hmm. the, the governor also has the ability and he has done this already to suspend regulations um, some statutes as well um, and a lot of folks have, have been saying look you did this for the notary requirement for businesses for all of this stuff here uh, you help them out uh, but Kenya uh, can, can you do something to make sure that people can vote at this time I think that's still an avenue that's still open because those emergency powers are still present for the governor so uh, Gina yeah I'm, I'm gonna get what hold up let me let me bring it over to you um,
1: yeah didn't want to interrupt or anything I just want to throw that in there before I forgot so yeah. well, this is more of a, a question than it than it is than a comment did I read or misinterpret something? Did I see something in that in that bill that talks about people signing an affidavit?
2: You always have to sign an affidavit to apply for an absentee ballot. I mean, that's basically when you are um, applying for an absentee ballot, ballot you are attesting that your excuse is valid. So, that, I mean, that's basically an affidavit. Is I mean, I think that's correct, right? Yeah,
0: mm-hmm. yeah. There's because because in Missouri, the way it works is there's the uh, there's the application for the absentee ballot. So you don't, they don't just send you the ballot. And I think a lot of folks, for example, in St. Louis County, I think who have been receiving this one way or another, um, from folks, if you're in a certain, I think it was 60 years and older, um, then you, uh, uh, you, you still, you weren't getting the ballots you are getting, the applications for them and then they send you the ballot after that. So yeah, you do have to, you have to pick one of those and uh, you are testing that what you are telling uh, the government is true. Uh, But like I said before, the operative language there is the expectation. So um, Mm -hmm. yeah, there is that language there too.
2: So, they, but you know, to go back to what you said a second ago about the governor's emergency powers, the big concern there is the fact that the governor does not really seem to take this emergency as seriously as he perhaps should. And the question remains whether Missouri would be, will remain under a state of emergency that would um, justify the use of those emergency powers. I mean, I think that is a, a valid concern that even if the governor decided to act on that emergency basis, the emergency in Missouri, could technically lapse um, at any time mm-hmm. because they they really don't seem to think that this is the emergency that it is.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think um, that's a that's a very good point. Um, and you know, part of part of the reason that folks were called, they had to come back to session one because we had to pass a budget, mm-hmm. uh, but but two, there were there were a lot of things we had to get done. Um, our legislature decided to focus on a whole bunch of stuff that, you know, some people were asking, does that really have anything to do with the emergency that we're dealing with? Um, and given, you know, making a budget at this time is so difficult because, you know, there's been so many small businesses that are I mean are struggling a lot, unemployments and all of these problems. Um, but, uh, yeah, the focus there was was an interesting one on a lot of these issues. And unfortunately, it seems like some of these things, like we just talked about, were kind of given uh, short shrift a little bit, um, especially Mm -hmm. when you consider what the roles that we are supposed to play from the statewide elected officials um, in this whole process.
2: Well, just to give a little bit of a shout out to some of the Democrats who, I mean, I know that we're kind of griping about this bill in some respect, but considering that you know, the pro-voting rights party is in a big minority in the state legislature, you know, props for what they fought for and the fact that they were able to get anything. And the fact that, if I'm not mistaken, they were able to remove some really stringent voter um, ID require. I shouldn't say voter ID. I should say stringent photo ID requirements that were going to also be put into this legislation. I mean, I do thank them for the hard work that they did to get rid of those things that would have made this difficult situation even just that much worse and more confusing
0: yeah yeah i do want to ask you all since i got you you know and and folks are going to probably see on on the internet and and in a lot of maybe even conversations that folks are going to say a lot well you went to mail-in voting and even the secretary of state was complaining yesterday that it didn't have um, you know the photo id uh, provisions that he wanted but, you know, you're going to have folks who are going to say this is not a secure method of voting um, and, you know, that it's going to be, you know, for fraud and, and all this stuff. Can you explain a bit, um, you know, the both of you, just your perspective on responding to that, especially, you know, explaining the ways that, that, that these ballots right now are verified? Because you're right. It's not a photo, uh, uh, photo ID, uh, but it, there are other ways we're identifying folks who are voting.
2: Well, now, the first time—if someone registers to vote by mail or online, um, the first time they vote absentee, they do, in fact, have to provide a copy of um, an acceptable identification with their absentee ballot application. So nobody um, votes absentee in a vacuum where where no— ID is required. And there are other, you know, there's other identifying information that you have to put on your absentee ballot application and on the absentee ballot envelope. They also do signature matching. So they have um, a variety of, depending on the election authority, they have a variety of sources of signatures to compare your signature to. And the truth of the matter is that in you know voter impersonation fraud is it's like it's like a fairy tale. It doesn't exist. It is a fear and a non-existent problem in search of actually it's a solution in search of a problem because
1: mm-hmm.
2: photo ID you know you know photo ID has not it doesn't solve an existing problem. I mean, to the extent that there have been issues with elections, the issues have usually come from the candidates, uh, you know, pulling things like the guy in, you know, North Carolina, where they had to redo the election because his campaign was basically defrauding voters out of their absentee ballots. So that's the issue. A Photo ID would not have done anything to help that. So I think that to the extent you know, elected officials in particular are pointing the finger at voters, they need to realize that they need to look to themselves first and understand that voters generally, I mean, people aren't going to risk a criminal prosecution to cast one ballot in an election. They're just not going to do it. So it's a, it's a silly concern, honestly. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. There's a a website and I'll put it in the, uh, I'll put it in the comment section too, but it actually tracks um, all of the, you know, cases involving, uh, quote-unquote, voter fraud, and uh, the number is like, you know, it's like .0000001. It's just in, in, insane how small of an issue mm-hmm. that this is and how often, like, when you do it. And, it, you know, it's, it's really interesting because I've been listening to some – Uh, for, I mean, a lot of, you know, I, I, we look a lot into data. Um, I was, you know, I did a lot of that stuff in, in, in college too. And afterwards. Um, but, uh, if you do, there's actually like analytic methods right now that allow you to look at patterns in data and patterns and voting and all these things. And you can find when it's not, you know, the random sample that you're expecting when it looks like somebody has designed something to cause problems or whatever it might be. Um, so it's interesting with the, with the new technology that we have out there, um, voting can be made a whole lot more secure and actually is in a lot of these ways. Um, you know, even given, you know, what folks are saying, like the whole roof is coming down. It's, it's really been the opposite in a lot of these instances. So, um, yeah, I think that's, we got some questions coming in, so I do want to bring those here. Hold up. Um, Here, Here's one that I think is, is important. It's from Karen. I'm going to put this up there um, because I, I'm sure there are some folks in this vote right now. Um, so Karen says, I applied for an absentee ballot for the June election using excuse number two. I have yet to receive my ballot. Can they now deny me the opportunity to vote absentee by mail? Um, so that's that's Karen's question. Um, You know, I, I do you all have an opinion about that? I know I've got one, but I, I don't know if you all want to, to.
2: Well, the comment. governor hasn't signed the legislation. Right. So it's not the law yet.
0: Right. Yeah, that's that's very true. Um, And it doesn't. So you'll if you look through the absentee application, Karen and everybody else who's out there, you'll actually see that sometimes there are a couple that you can pick. And, you know, you you might have one where it's like, Oh, I'm confined, uh, due to illness. And maybe there's also, you know, uh, some religious exemption or something that also applies. So you, you have the opportunity to choose. Now, the reason that a lot of folks were pointing at two is making sense was one, it makes sense because we're in the middle of a pandemic and there are literally orders for folks to stay home as much as possible. Uh, and we know that when people get together, that's not the best thing in the world for this thing. Uh, but, uh, two that one because of diseases in the way that they operate in, in, in an attempt to limit your exposure to a notary or whatever else we're trying to reduce that so you don't have to get that one notarized which is the other the other benefit of, of two and now I think I guess it's seven is that the that the new one now it's number seven um, yes I think that's right Same yeah right yeah yeah I think I think it's seven so we got seven out there I think Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I was reading the, the bill really late, my eyes are killing me right now, but I think I got the right number on that. So uh, but yeah, if you if you look, like you might have a, a couple different ones. So just because the you know this one is passed does not necessarily mean that you couldn't select a different one instead, right? If you expect something to happen and that's the excuse and you're looking at it and you're like, that's the one, that one fits, so does this one you are able to choose. Um, you, you don't choose both of them. You choose one, and that's the excuse that you're with. So, um, yeah. So, I mean, the, the thing is there's a lawsuit, and so we're all kind of waiting because we don't have an answer, and we we don't have a government that has provided a unitary answer and helped us out that way. Um, and so we're all kind of in this boat of not knowing what's going on, and it's unfortunate because yes. that's not that's not what we're paying for. I know I'm paying taxes. Uh all right, let's see what else we got up here. Um, yeah. Yeah, there it is. Okay, so so this is correct. And actually, this is the exact quote I saw the other night. So this is from uh, Frederick. Freddie, Americans are more likely to get struck by lightning than uh, they are to commit voter fraud. That is uh, very, very true. And actually, so, so you will see some articles, and, and there are experts in voting who will say this. They will say that, oh... It is more likely that you'll see uh, uh, fraud by, you know, absentee or or mail-in. But the thing is, it's like, you know, five versus, you know, seven. And it's still really, really small, like extremely, extremely small. So, um, you know, folks are going to probably latch on to that. Whoever opposes making sure that more people can participate in our democracy will latch on to those kinds of things. But still, just like, I mean, just like you mentioned, I mean, people are going to, uh, they are getting prosecuted. And bad things are happening to them when they're breaking our laws. And
2: and, and it's just, you know, and you remember the um, squad that that Trump put together to investigate the uh, non-issue of in-person voter fraud. And one day when I was doing some research on that issue, I stumbled on a database that's on the White House website that lists, you know, every known case of yeah. so-called voter fraud in the country. And you look at Missouri, not a single instance in Missouri was uh, something, and there were only a tiny handful over, you know, eons. Mm. Every, none of these instances had anything to do with something that a restrictive photo ID would have stopped or resolved. So, I mean, it was just, it's, that's irrelevant to the discussion. I mean, again, this is something that, you know, politicians maybe need to look toward themselves, um, to solve those still rare issues that, that are caused by, you know, political shenanigans, but, you know, don't point the finger at voters because voters aren't doing this. Yeah.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, Oh, these are great questions that are coming. Um, all right, let's see. Camera. Oh, great. Okay, let's put this one up there. Uh, sorry, we got so many, I've got to put them. Okay, so the question is, how can I specifically help those marginalized groups who are apparently targeted by neglect in this legislation? And I'll add, in general, um, like black citizens in, in Missouri, um, and oftentimes we see that in many minority communities, Um, and, uh, you know, it's interesting to see which age groups are included, which aren't and all that kind of stuff. So, um, anybody want to take, take a crack at that one? How can we help, how can we help more Americans, uh, uh, exercise their right to vote?
1: Well, I, I think that the first thing is, is education. We, we, we have to to do uh make an intentional effort to make sure that people know what their rights are and what the rules are. And unfortunately we, we have to keep doing it because things are constantly changing. So if there's a mechanism by which you can get information out quickly to people, even if it's just picking up the phone and calling a friend and then have that friend call somebody else. Um, the other thing is, is making sure that people check their voter registration to see what their status is. That, that's an important issue as well. And then um, the other is, is something that Jennifer has mentioned quite a bit, and that is to become a notary. Mm-hmm. The more notaries we have and, and a way to let people know who those notaries are and, and how we can get to them is probably one of the better things that, that we can do. For um, for all of our communities, mm-hmm. actually. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, and and you know, with that um, effort that Gina and I are both involved in with the Transformative Justice Coalition, I mean, one of the main goals of that of that entire thing is to um, get marginalized communities uh, informed and ready to vote. And I'll I'll mention an idea that Gina had that was really good when we were talking about um, how to do that. Um, We were talking about how churches sometimes do sick and shut-in visits. And right now maybe churches should also think about doing voter wellness checks mm. on their on the folks in their congregations and there are some really easy ways i mean right now you can check your registration through the missouri secretary of state's website but that is super case sensitive and it's kind of unwieldy and I, and i it has made a lot of people unnecessarily stressed out when they couldn't find their the registration because they put a stray space in or something. So mm-hmm. I would advise using other methods first of checking your registration. I mean, ultimately your local election board is the best place. That's even better than the secretary of state. Yeah. But if you're looking for something simple, um, you know, we've probably, a lot of us have probably used ResistBot in the past. Well, they have some fantastic things set up for voting that are really helpful. You can text check to 50409 and you can check your registration, and they will actually monitor your voter registration for you and alert you to any changes. So that's like uh, that—that's a really great oh, wow. service that I think. That's great. Yeah, it's they have a whole list of voting-related things that they'll do for you. But to me, that's one of the most extraordinary um, organizations like Vote.org mm-hmm. or TurboVote. Um, for example, Gina's uh, you know program has its own TurboVote account, which is CSD dot org, right Gina? That's That's that was that's the link. Yes. Okay. Yeah. That's that would be a good place to go to and if you go to some place like org, you will get um, reminders about elections, you'll get a link to your sample ballot, you'll find out all kinds of great things. I mean, I know that in 2018 when i was really involved in some elections on the ground i got my turbo vote notification and i was like whoa, wait a minute there's some ballot initiatives in here you know that i in, in the county in particular that i didn't realize were on the ballot because i was so mm-hmm. hyper focused on other things and getting that reminder helped me prepare to vote. So, I'm you know, there's that. a lot of ways in which this can be
0: helpful. Okay, I just put that on the page there so people can see. That was csd.turbovote.org. Is that right? Yes. Okay, great. Correct. So that's up there.
1: If, if there is someone um, that's watching that has a large organization or group and would like to have their own TurboVote, a specialized TurboVote link, we can create that for them. Oh, just that's great. Just reach out to me and we're, we're happy to do that. And what that would allow is that organization opportunity to see who's actually are their methods working in terms of getting people to register to vote. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. And then the other the mm-hmm. other one you said you could text check right to five zero four zero nine. Is that right? Yes. Okay. Yes. Put that up on the screen too, so folks can see it. Look at that. Look at this fanciness we can do up here. Okay, great. Yeah, you know, just gotta get the word out. This is important. Um, you know, there's another. There, there's a website we're gonna have to uh, update it a bit now, but voteMissouri.org, dot uh, which is something that we put up because uh, a volunteer for our campaign uh, came from a state where they do vote by mail regularly, and it's normal. Uh, and so she said, I, don't, "I mean, y'all should be doing it over here too." And uh, we, um, you know, worked with her and a, a bunch of other volunteers, and we actually cataloged, like, all the contact information for the clerks around the state. So uh, that's all up on that website. It also allows you to electronically fill out the absentee ballot request form, and we have over 40 counties that are willing to accept it by email. So uh, I should have... That's awesome. Yeah, I should have put that up there, too. Hold up. I can, I'll throw that thing up there. But uh, what is nice about that website, too... Is that um, if you go if you go there, you can also, there's also a link to like the voter registration and some other information connecting to the Secretary of State's website. So uh, there's some other resources in addition to it. But uh, I know if you do have a question about what's going on, a great uh, the, one of the best benefits of that website is that you'd look up your county. And you can call them. And so many folks have been really open to, you know, they want to hear from you as a voter. So a lot of local election authorities are really on the ball on this. So um, great. yeah. And,
1: and I'll, Go ahead, Gina. Right. You know, and I was in a lot. Right. St. Louis County ha, is excellent in terms of helping and um, just being very thoughtful about what they do and, and how they do it. And uh, and I'm really um and I'm proud to say that. But another thing that I thought about is I would encourage people who live in long-term care facilities and things like that to apply for a permanent mm. absentee ballot based on their health. And then in that situation, once, they, once they're approved, they don't have to go through their process again, nor do they need a notary when they vote. So, um, that's something that you can should consider. Now, with St. Louis um, City, finding that form, is, is, it's not on their website. I've asked if they would try to get it on there. They said yes. I'm not sure if that form is um, on St. Louis counties. Mm-hmm. It is. It is? Mm-hmm. Okay. That's good. Yeah. 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 I
0: know some, I know some websites in the state are lacking some things that other ones have. So it's a little bit of a variance. Yeah. Yeah.
2: But so when it comes to, first of all, the League of Women Voters is always a good place to call if you're wondering about how to get copies of things like the um, permanent disability application. And, you know, and thanks to Gina and her request, you know, we have a copy of the city's uh, permanent disability application. So anybody who wants a copy of that can email me, um, Jennifer at StlVPC. That's St. Louis Voter Protection Coalition. Dot org, and I will email you um, a PDF of oh, so that. Say that.
0: Again, say that email again. I'll type S- it up.
2: Yeah, Stl. VPC.org. VPC.org. Jennifer at yep. VPC.org. Yes. Wonderful. Okay. And, and, you, and you will really receive that courtesy of Gina because she did all the legwork like, to get it.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and you know, interesting, you, you know just to, to anything that I've asked the Board of Elections in St. Louis City that I've asked for, they've done it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's just, I don't think it ever occurred to them or that they were aware that that document wasn't on their website. So right. hopefully right. it'll get.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Oftentimes people who are trying to do the right thing, they just, you know, they just didn't really think about that,
1: you know?
2: And also the truth is that older folks who are probably among the people who are eligible to use the permanent disability application maybe aren't as Internet savvy to begin with. Mm -hmm. So that's something else organizations can do. And that's, Mm -hmm. you know, have those paper forms when they do outreach to people um, and uh, use you know, use the paper forms, give those to people, help them get them filled out and mailed in because they just may not have the internet savvy to sign on, fill it out online and, you know, print yeah, it out. Right.
1: Oh, Jennifer, you know, we, we should probably tell them about the effort that, um, that you started and implemented with, um, the packets of information, the yeah.
2: So, so we do, you know, with this in mind, and and we've done it with a couple, you know with with Gina's organization and the League of women voters have have done some of these packets too, is you know putting together folders with all these paper forms and printed out explanations of things like checking your voter registration, registering to vote. Um, here's an envelope with a stamp to send it in. You know, any, any organization that wants to do this, um, you know, call me up and I'll walk you through the process, but it's really great to be able to offer people who may not have internet access or right. access to a printer, these right. paper forms yes. to fill out. And, you know, it's, it's, it's something that I think is going to be increasingly important this year. Yeah. And because, you know, what's really important, it's like folks in, in, um, At-risk and marginalized communities may move more often, Mm -hmm. and it's really, really important to be registered to vote at the address where you currently live, not only so you know what your ballot is and where you're supposed to vote if you're voting in person, but in Missouri, if you move from one election jurisdiction to another, yes. you have to re-register to vote. You are no longer a registered voter. The minute you move from the city line over to St. Louis County, doesn't matter if it's three blocks, you are not a registered voter anymore, mm-hmm. and a lot of people get caught up in that. So it's mm-hmm. really important to make sure registration is not only current, but current where you currently live. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Do you, um, so so I, for, for folks, there was a question that came on here. Um and I'm trying to find it. I might not be able to. But for folks who, you know, a, a lot of the it, with the ballots uh, and the request and the signature, there's a signature comparison. If somebody has had either a medical issue or their signature has just changed over time for one reason, what do you recommend for those? But what, what should they be doing?
2: I'd tell them to call their local election yeah, right. board and have a conversation with them about that and, you know, and, and find a way to um, make sure that the signature comparison will work because that is an issue. Somebody mm-hmm. has a stroke or something, their right. signature absolutely changes. And yet they're the people who will probably be voting absentee by mail. Right. What do you think, Gina?
1: Yeah, I, I, I would agree. And i thought about that um, because if I think about just my Social Security card, it. I got that. I was twelve years old. My signature is very different yeah. than now, and I, I don't know if if people should just do another voter registration application with their current signature? I'm not sure. That's a, We should probably investigate that.
2: We should, because signature matching is a process that's unique to every election board. They have their own methods of doing it and their own methods of, um, you know, where they find comparison signatures. Mm-hmm. So that is something that's, that's important, something people should talk to the election board about. And don't forget, you know, the signature matching is not only relevant for ballots it's relevant for petitions too so if you're signing an initiative petition they will do signature matching right. to verify your signature
0: right right yeah yeah that question came from marianne i found it so thank you very much marianne we appreciate it and we'll uh, we'll put we'll we'll try to find the answer to that and put it in the comments but like i said if you go to uh, that votemissouri.org website you will be able to find a whole list of all the contact information including for your county wherever you are in missouri Um, And so you can give them a call and they'll they'll let you know what to do. Um, This one came from Jennifer. Uh, So Jennifer writes, I'm concerned for caregivers. Option two includes caregivers of those who are ill or incapacitated. Should caregivers of those with covid concerns still select option two?
2: I mean, I think so. (laughs) But I think that's something that's going to have to be clarified by local election jurisdictions. And then, you know, adding to that, that if local election jurisdictions have different answers about that, depending on what county you're in, then that also leads to injustice. So yeah, Missouri really lacks clarity on these
0: issues. And that's just, that's
2: so unfortunate.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Beyond unfortunate.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yep. Yep. I, I agree. Um, I did have one that came through text, uh, wanted to let us know he used to work at the legislature. Um, but when we were talking about, um, you know, a vote voting and a fraud or whatever it was, uh, he he, he said, don't forget to mention that Jason Kander, when he was secretary of state, set up the voter integrity unit to investigate cases of voter fraud. And he was stripped of all the money for that unit from the budget by the leading party, the Republicans in the legislature. Uh, he writes, I wonder why. Um, probably because there wasn't none and they didn't want anybody to show that. So, um, yeah, I, I, it's it cert- <laughs> certainly, uh, you know, what it serves you. And it, it, it shouldn't. That's the problem. The problem with this is that it's become so political. Like the right to vote should not be political. Mm-hmm. It should be done. Like we should all agree on that fundamentally. And I feel like we do. The people do. Um, unfortunately, far too often we're seeing leaders who don't. And it's just really sad. Like we've gotten to this point where folks are – gaming. I remember Gina, Gina, I went over to that. Oh my goodness. What was that documentary called? The play, the the playbook rigged,
1: the voting suppression playbook. Yeah. It is literally a playbook. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And if you and just a plug for that for the film, if you haven't seen that documentary, <clears throat> I highly suggest it. It's called Rig: The Voter Suppression Playbook, mm-hmm. and you can get it, i to i I'm I'm not an iPhone person, but the what is it? i store the
2: Apple the Apple Store
1: <laughs> the Apple Store or um, Amazon Prime. Okay, you can rent it, you can purchase it. It's cheap, yep. like. 4.99 to have a permanently live stream, and it's an excellent documentary. As a matter of fact, if you go to um, the St. Louis Voter Protection Coalition, if you go to that website, do we don't do you have a list of all the documentaries and things that we recommend people watch? Is it on that?
2: Um, I I put it, well, I don't, I don't know if I've put it on the website because I'll admit that I'm not really good with websites. And so somebody else takes care of that. Um, But, and and I probably do need to get that up there, but we do have a list of uh, great documentaries. I I know I've posted them on our Facebook page before. What is that? What is that website?
0: That's stlvpc.org?
2: Yes. Yes. But again, I mean, it's on the Facebook page somewhere I know and I'll and I'll repost it because Gina's right. And, you know, she's done a lot of, you know, she did a lot of legwork with the with the filmmaker of rig to bring that to town. And then we also were able to show the documentary Suppressed, Mm -hmm. which is shorter and it's free and it's on YouTube. It's called Suppressed the Fight to Vote. And that's about the um, Georgia election in 2018. And the nice thing about that is that it kind of goes through a lot of the same things that Rigged goes through um, in what I think is a more emotionally impactful way. People may disagree because Rigged is like a really good film and it's Mm -hmm. really informative and it gives you steps you can take. Um, Suppressed, you know, is again, you know, shorter and free and also really impactful. um, and, And people should watch that. But I, you know... And you know the history of Gina and and another friend of ours and, and I all took we we audited a voting rights class at WashU this past semester past semester and um, taught by Denise Lieberman yeah
0: and oh great I, teacher
2: we can yeah she is and we can agree that it was really eye opening and we have a lot of resources from that class too that we can post some really great articles the historical context of all of this is appalling but I mean. One of the big things that happened in modern times if you look at the last time the Voting Rights Act was reauthorized in 2006 mm-hmm. you will see a picture of George W Bush sitting down with smiling bipartisan group behind mm. him including Roy Blunt right behind his shoulder mm-hmm. they're all happy they're all signing it it you know was reauthorized unanimously and that was you know before the large intervening event that apparently turned republicans off voting which was when they found out that you know barack obama could actually get elected president Mm. and you know that's kind of like that just changed the narrative completely yeah it's like that was that was such a threat to their power that they realized oh well you know it's one thing to have the voting rights act when it doesn't really stand in our way of of maintaining power but gosh now hmm, that's totally different
0: yeah 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 it's just, it feels like such a, you know, and there's a lot of folks out there who are really dejected by what the system is looking like in a lot of ways. Um, And it just, you know, it's really sad because, you know, folks can remember a time just like you were mentioning. I mean, goodness, like not very long ago when folks were able to work together on these issues and um, it seems like we're in a very bad spiral and not even... Although, you know what? I mean, maybe, because there were people who were very much opposed to any of these things that we just passed in Missouri. Never going to happen over their dead body. And, they, I mean, they passed it with a a huge majority um, just to have something, you know? I mean, it's not what we want, and it's not the most effective, and it's probably not the way that would would work the best. But, um, I mean, you know, you take, I guess, a small victory at this point. (laughs) You go home and you celebrate for a second, but... Yeah, it's it's unfortunate. That's for sure. Uh, yeah. Well, um, you all have been wonderful, and we're almost a two. And I do not want to take all your day today. Uh, but this has been great. So we put some links in there. Um, this is okay. Well, this is a wonderful question because this is what I was going to ask at the end anyway. Marianne's back, um, and she wants to know what group can she join in Missouri to help. She lives in rural Missouri. Um, so what I was going to ask the both of you. Is if you had any, you know, anything you wanted to plug, any ideas for folks, how they can get involved, where can they go? And as you're doing that, I'm going to try to furiously, I'm writing it down here, and then I'll try to put it on the screen too for folks to get involved. So uh, whoever would like to start, uh, go for it. Mm-hmm.
2: Gina, <laughs> um,
1: I guess is the Missouri Voter Coalition. Open. Now.
2: It, yeah, it is. So it, the Missouri, okay. yeah, Denise's organization, the Missouri Voter Protection Coalition mm-hmm. um, has groups from all over Missouri that participate in it and get information from it. Okay. And that would be a good springboard to find a group in your area. But it's also a way to really keep up with the latest developments in Missouri law, the lawsuit and everything. So that's actually a very easy um, email list to join, and when you join their email list, you get an invitation to be on their Monday conference calls, which are super informative. So to do that, you text MOVPC to six six eight six six.
1: So I'm going to get that up on the screen that so everybody can see that. Yeah, you. you know the the other thing too is is join the League of Women Voters. Ball- mm-hmm. They, you know, just by joining them, and it's not super expensive, but when you join, you get a a summary, a legislative update of all kinds of things. It's an excellent um, organization to to be connected with. And then, of course, you have your NAACP, local chapters, state chapters. Um, Let's see who else. There are... Organization for Black Struggle. I think they do work on voting. Oh, the Missouri Congregations United, MCU. Mm-hmm. They, Missouri, Missouri
2: Faith Voices.
1: Missouri Faith Voices, Voices right? Yeah. Voices, yeah. And so these are websites that you can go to. I don't know the specifics in terms of what they're doing, you know, uh, around this, but I'm sure they can use as, as much help as they mm-hmm. can get in talking about this. Another thing, too, there there's a group that uh, wanted to do rides to the polls. So you may want to think about what can you do on election day that's safe to get people there. You may want to think about um, people are going to be standing in line Mm -hmm. for a long time if they're there. They may need food, water, um, encouragement. You'd be surprised uh, just what a, a little... You know, yep. encouragement and thanking people for standing out there for hours because that's going to happen. Yes. Um. If there's a way to raise money to get PPE, making sure that people have um, uh, the right equipment. Oh, becoming a poll worker.
2: Mm-hmm. Oh yeah.
1: That is an ex. They need listen mm-hmm. n- and no hate on 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 seniors because I'm I'm in that category. But the average age of election of poll workers is like 70, 75 years of age.
2: And that's so, not an exaggeration.
1: And it, Right. And I'm not exaggerating. And so they are not, my guess is, want to be at poll places with COVID. It's too much right. of a risk for them. So if you can sign up to be a poll worker, that would be fabulous. Yeah. Um, Let's see. What else is there? You can show documentaries with your with your groups. Yep. Um, and then a shout out for, for my project, the Voter Access and Engagement Initiative. Be on the lookout for we're going to be doing a series of webinars, and our first webinar is going to, to look at will I be able to cast my ballot? So what will it look like in the poll in a poll place mm. when voting in person? And we um, the public health director for St. Louis City has confirmed and then Delise Lieberman. And so we're going to talk about that whole piece about voting and what's going on. And then the, you know, what do we need to do to be prepared to vote in person? Because we're going to have to be prepared. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. We've got some comments coming in. Um, Folks who were volunteering and won't be doing that now because they're worried uh, about being a poll worker, given everything that's going on. Um, And yeah, I mean, you know, hopefully, uh, Hopefully we'll, we'll have I know they've been talking a lot about how they're going to set up their offices to, you know, make them Mm. safe, especially for in-person voting absentee. Um, And then there's a lot of work around getting PPE out there um, to at least the, uh, the poll workers and the election workers. But yeah, that's a serious concern. Yeah. Yeah. No. And so so those folks who are saying that they're
2: not going to be able to be poll workers, and, you know, which I completely respect. I mean, I understand that that's, you know, yeah, that's a you know, not that's asking a lot of, of people right. and especially people who are at risk and are trying to stay home. So, you know, the, I guess the broader question is, what can you do from home? Right. That is is helpful to this. I mean, right now, even the election protection effort that Denise runs is a little bit up in the air. I mean, are we going to, you know, station people at polling places? If most people aren't even voting at polling places, is that going to be worthwhile? So I know that she's going through all kinds of thought processes about that. Yeah. Um, a few things that people can do at home is number one, one of the biggest issues that's going to confront us is combating misinformation because there's so much confusion about the rules related to voting. Yeah. I mean, I've seen people say, saying oh well the notary thing's not a big deal you can use a video notary no you can't you can't do that for a ballot so even well-intentioned misinformation needs to be corrected so there's misinformation but also disinformation and that is something that was a big deal in 2016 it's going to be a bigger deal in 2020 because most of our influences in this election are going to be online mm-hmm. because people aren't going places they're not going door to door they're not meeting vote you know they're seeing stuff right. online so, so-
1: Jennifer, yeah. tell, and you might want to d- define disinformation for people, an example of that.
2: Well, so disinformation can be a bunch of different things. I mean, disinformation can be anything from, um, you know, an outright lie saying like, well, you vote, you know, since your name starts with the letter F, you vote on Wednesday, not on Tuesday, you know, so that kind of, you know, deliberate disinformation that misleads you about where and how to vote or, you know, what's on the ballot, that type of thing. So that's like standard disinformation. But there's also disinformation that, Alienates you, or you know, makes you angry, or um, makes you feel like not voting is an act is a noble act of protest or something. So there's all that kind of manipulative disinformation that also suppresses the vote. So you have this whole spectrum of things that are going on, and people really need to be cautious about you know what kind of information they share, and you know people can easily share misinformation. Um, very innocently for example by sharing voting information that might be true in one state or county but not in theirs so that's something to avoid right. um, you know the the mean the you know the fears that people have about certain things you know for example i've seen a lot of people posting like oh my gosh you need to demand a paper ballot and these are people who live in st louis county and All we have is paper ballots now in St. Louis County. So, you know, getting people fired up about issues that, you know, are not applicable in your particular situation is also something that, you know, creates a tension around voting that can be suppressive. So I could go on all day about this. I think Gina needs to have a needs to have a webinar about it.
1: Yeah, we, we can we can make that happen. And also, you know, another one is that you can't vote if you have a felony in Missouri. The only felony that will prevent you from voting is voter fraud. Outside of that, as long as you're not in prison, you um, are not on probation, parole, or something like If you're done with everything, you can if you're off,
2: Is it off paper? Is that, right. the, is that the term? Yeah. If
1: you're off, yeah. if you're off paper, you can vote. Mm-hmm. Probation,
0: yeah. Yeah, no more supervision, right? Um, well, you know what? It sounds like we'll probably have to have you all come back because this is a developing thing, and you all have such a wealth of knowledge on this topic. And, you know, I just really want to say, and I know a lot of folks have been commenting, uh, but thank you both so much for everything that you're doing for the people of our state. Um, It's so important. And this is the fundamental issue in a democracy, is whether we get to have a voice and whether our vote is going to count. So Thank you all for doing that and for dedicating your time doing that and for coming on the Aladpa to talk about it right after we just passed the law, changing the law about all that. So um, (laughs) thank
2: you. Well, thank you thank you so much and you know what i just i'm going to add one more plug for misinformation that's really important right now especially yes, we as do. we're all getting ready to vote absentee possibly there is a very well known myth that you know for some reason that absentee ballots aren't counted unless an election is close right. that is not true absentee ballots are always counted in every election by every election jurisdiction so there is no chance that your absentee ballot if it's a valid validly cast absentee ballot it will count
0: yeah great awesome sorry no this is no this is great thank (laughs) you no the more more info the better i feel like we can go on for like half a day with all this stuff there's so much um it's i mean it just yeah it's it's so interesting and you know what what makes it even more interesting because i know i've got some uh, uh folks who are looking at like what happened in california with the last election and they're looking at uh, you know, there was a lot of voting absentee and, you know, the Republican won in this district. And I, I just feel like it's just so it's so near. It's so like like you're not even seeing the whole picture, you know, when you're talking about like disenfranchising mm. your own people, The your own people who are going to be voting for your person. It's just, oh, my goodness. Like it's America. Let's just all vote and let's just get it done with. So, um Anyway, I could rant. I don't want to start ranting. So thank you both for coming on. Um, thank you. I appreciate it. We'll have you back. So thank you, uh, Dr. McClendon, Jennifer. Uh, appreciate you both being on here. And uh, we'll put all the stuff in the, in the comments to uh, Facebook, YouTube, everywhere else so you all can connect with them. And you all are always welcome to go ahead and interact with those folks, too, online. So if you see something, go ahead and answer it. But uh, I'll be sure to do it, too. Um, so thank you. So I did make a promise to everybody. And uh, I told you that uh, if you were following us on Twitter, uh, which you should be if you're not, that uh, we would have a little bit of a a history thing for for Missouri. That was a little little dorky, uh, but I really enjoy it. Um, I, I think that this conversation has really highlighted a couple things. One is that really there's so much room for us to work together, no matter what party you're in, because so many of us do agree on a lot of these fundamental issues. And sure, there's going to be some things that we disagree about, but we're not even having that dialogue. Um, and it's really sad that that's not happening. In fact, um, you know, the Secretary of State was invited to come on, discuss these issues. Um, unfortunately, he chose not to because he said that this was too political of an issue um, and a political thing. I mean, we've you can see who we bring on. We bring on folks who are all different beliefs and everything else. And I just think that that conversation is so important for us to be having. Um, In that vein, uh, this week was the anniversary of the birth of uh, Congressman Jerry Litton. And uh, some of you uh, might've heard of him uh, before. He was a Congressman in Missouri from the sixth congressional district. So a lot of the Northwest side of the state. And uh, he uh, was very popular for a show that he started, and it was called Dialogues with Lytton. I was, you know, looking through it, the State Historical Society, which does wonderful work in Missouri, has a bunch of videos up on YouTube, and I've been basically addicted to watching old, like, partial episodes of it and spreading it wherever I can. He would have folks from different parties on his show, uh, people from all over the country, would come to Missouri to talk about the issues, to have candid conversations, and you know, to really find a lot of areas of agreement. Um, and you know, I'm, I'm looking at what what this whole setup has become, and it's 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 really exciting to see. I hope that maybe we can bring some of that back into our conversation. So, um, uh, unfortunately, his life was 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 lost far too early. Uh, because the day that he won the primary election to, uh, become the democratic nominee for United States Senate, um, his plane crashed. Uh, he was riding with uh, a friend, um, and his whole family was there. And, uh, unfortunately they all, they all passed away. Um, so there's a lot of, a lot of memorials up for him. Um, there's a mini documentary that was made, but I wanted to, to, to throw back a little bit, um, and so I'm going to play this. I know we're, we're over time, but, you know, I think it's important for us to kind of see it. So if you got some time, uh, peer back into the history of Missouri, and maybe it can give us some guidance on where we can move forward with all of this.
3: Congressman Jerry Litton believes that a democracy depends on informed people. He also believes our government should be more open and accessible to the people. To better inform you of what is happening in your government, Missouri's 6th District Congressman Jerry Lytton invites Washington personalities to come to Missouri each month and join him in an unrehearsed question-and-answer open-to-the-public town meeting to discuss key issues facing our nation. Dialogue with Lytton brings you closer to your government and Washington closer to you. Sure, to watch Dialogue with Lytton on this station with Missouri Congressman Jerry Lytton and his guest, the Commissioner of Consumer Affairs for New York City. So, you've got an
2: interest in the way food reaches the supermarket because if your good sows get into.
3: You have learned so much since you came to New York.
2: (laughs) I know what a guilt is, too, you
3: (laughs) you know. Pardon me for interrupting her, but she had not seen a hog until I showed her one in Missouri. I know, I know. <laughs> it's
1: absolutely true.
3: <laughs> Let me do something here I've never done before. You're a pretty active Democrat, and I'm a Democrat, and, and uh, uh, a lot of people are out here. And I don't know if people will be honest with me, and maybe I shouldn't even ask, but you're talking about us meeting with the people, talking, relating, as opposed to political rallies. Could we get a show of hands of those who consider themselves Republicans or independents? Would you do that? That's a mighty good. Uh, that's a frightening number. <laughs> Jerry, you're right. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> Imagine you don't. You think there are more now than there would have been when we started. <laughs> Jack is running for re-election, and and I know uh, he has some commitments back home, and, Jack, you don't know how much I appreciate your taking time to be with us and be with my people here in Missouri today. Thank you very much. They're lucky people. Thank you. And uh, we talk about representative government. Well, we really don't have representative government. To have it representative, they've got to be able to understand our feelings and our concerns. We need more farmers, businessmen, homemakers, housewives, people from the real world. (laughs) serving in public office so they can represent it. You don't have to be hungry to understand those who are hungry, but it helps. Uh, You don't have to have had a crop failure or or lost your, 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 your crop to understand the problems of the farmer. But that, too, helps. Neither do you have to fill out dozens of forms every day to understand the problems of businessmen, but that, too, helps. And we have so many in government who've done nothing but government that they can't relate to understand the problems of real people. That's the reason why we have lost confidence in our government, because our government is not us. It's not us at all. It's not made up of real people. It's made up of plastic politicians and professional bureaucrats. All they know is government, and that's why we have too much of it, in my opinion.
1: I might further add to that that I think also that it would be good uh, because we are planning on extending our dialogue program and sharing it with the people of Missouri, and because we would like for them to feel like we feel with you all. We feel close, and uh, we know you're our friends. And this is what we would like to do statewide, is to bring the government closer to the people so that we can talk and know what the people feel. And we feel that we'll both be better off.
0: Thanks for listening, everybody. Make sure to check us out at aladgross.org, where you can connect with us on social media. Send me an email. Send me any questions or ideas you've got for the podcast. We'd love to hear from you. We will see you next week on the Alad Pod.